My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, we have Elisa Stamps here. She is, a li- the, the acronyms are always so different from state to state. So uh, licensed clinical social worker, is that what it is? Yes, correct. Yes. Yeah, here it's LPC. I mean, it's all different kind of state by state. So right. I'm so thankful to have Elisa here because I was just talking to her about how a lot of the moms who we have on this podcast, a lot of the people here in general, are adults and they're kind of coming to grips with maybe some uncomfortable things that have happened in their childhood. Um, And she works with that population, Um, but that's just one area that she works with. She also works with people who struggle with disordered eating and body image issues. She works with these individuals to overcome any emotional and relational trauma so that they can discover and come back to and embrace their true authentic selves. So I'm really appreciative, again, of Elisa for you to, you know, give us this time to reach out to my audience in this way, and we're going to learn a lot from you today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, why don't we just jump in first to, I have a lot of questions and things that I just want to pick your brain about, but why don't you just start first by talking to us about kind of where you're at, what exactly it is that you do. Um, who you help and and how you got interested in this type of work. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, But like everybody else, you know, moved to telehealth and I'm now working from home. Um, I specialize in working with adult children of narcissists. And I run an outpatient support group entitled Shattering the Mirror for Adult Children of Narcissists, where we... um, we get a chance to kind of be in the space with others that share the same story, but then also learn more about the nuances of the narcissistic family system. And then I also work with individuals that are struggling with disordered eating and body image. That's so awesome. And I know I I love obviously the individual work that you do, but the fact that you offer groups, I think is so awesome. Thank you especially these old, these adult children, right? A lot of the yeah. issues that I run into with clients, um, a lot of it is, you know, what's wrong with me? It's, it's my right. fault. Um, and there's this solidarity piece that they're lacking. And so by you offering these groups, it offers people who are really struggling this solidarity that they would not be able to find or get in just individual sessions. Yeah, absolutely. That and that's my favorite part of it as a facilitator too is watching when a group member will say something and then everybody's head will nod and say, "Oh my gosh, yes." 
you know, and, and the fact that they can be with others who really have walked in similar shoes and support one another. And, and just, you know, there's not many spaces where we can talk about how our parents have failed us. It's a pretty taboo topic in this society. So I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's taboo and, and it's something that we don't talk about enough. Um, I know just as a mom myself, it, there's nothing like having a child that kind of reopens all those wounds from childhood. Yeah. Just puts all of that stuff under a microscope. And a lot of times people don't know where to go. It, they're, they're just kind of lost. And especially as adults, right? Like they've been living this way with this history mm-hmm. for so long. It can feel like it's just the way that things are. And, and by giving them that group and giving them that space, you're doing something that's so helpful for them. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, very glad to do it. And, um, you know, the group's been running now for over a year and it runs uh, in eight session segments. So I think I'm in section number five now of the group, which is wow. just amazing. And we have individuals, you know, the that's the beauty of what telehealth has offered. Uh, in my last section, I had someone join from the Bahamas. This section, I've got a couple people from North Carolina. So it's like, it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. So I'm trying to envision maybe what this group looks like and what your services are like, trying to put myself in their shoes. And sure. as, as audience members who are listening to this, I wonder, they may some of them might not know kind of what narcissism looks like. They may have been, they may, they may be an adult child of someone who had narcissistic traits or a narcissistic personality. So can you give us just a brief background as to what that is and maybe what it looks like? Yeah, Um, what that parenting looks like. And also, you know, if someone did struggle with that, you know, as a child, what that might look like and transpire into into adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think the the biggest factor in the narcissistic family system is that the emotional needs of the parent and the child become reversed. So it really, really becomes the responsibility of the child to care, take for the parent emotionally, sometimes also, you know, household wise. Um, But it's just, it's this very toxic nuanced system and the parents, you know, the narcissistic parent is primarily involved in getting their own needs met versus, um, you know, what you typically think of the parent parental duties being. And the child then has to pay attention and gain approval by meeting these emotional needs of the parent. It's such a hard place to be in as a, as a child, right? Because you have these adult figures, you have this parent figure and you listen to whatever it is that they say, you don't really know any different. Right. Um, so what are some of the ways that this, negatively affects you've talked about some of the ways that it could negatively affect a child obviously not being able to tend to their own needs or have their own needs being prioritized what are some of the ways that as adult children they really struggle with with this history yeah i think the 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 thing i notice the most is this core belief from the adult child that they are not good enough because there's been so much um, projection placed on the child, right? So, so the narcissist, they're completely unaware of their own emotional worlds. And when they are in turmoil internally, what they'll do is take, you know, 
what that is and project it onto the child. Take all the parts that they despise about themselves, be it emotions, be it you know physical traits, project it onto the child and then attack it. So the child becomes really used to like, that's the norm, I must be too fat or not smart enough or not good enough ultimately. And, um, you know, that, that's something I think when folks come to me is this, this core belief of I'm not good enough. And a lot of times too, like it, it must be my fault. So there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I work with a pretty severe population of individuals who have OCD and anxiety. And I, I've seen so much and not to say that anybody who feels those things, like I'm not good enough or I must be X, Y, Z, not to say that those individuals then must have had a parent with narcissistic traits. Right. Maybe, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how some of that transpires into adulthood and also probably this like people pleasing, right? Do you see a lot? Yes. My needs don't matter. Right. I I will like set myself on fire before I, because I need to take care of other people. Absolutely. And, you know, I read a, I don't know if it was a meme or something, but it was something like, yeah, that if we are people pleasing adults, we learned how to do, to be people pleasing, you know, to our parents. So, Mm -hmm. so that's definitely how, how we've learned those behaviors. And, um, you know, boundaries is something else that we talk about a lot, Mm -hmm. how, how boundaries can really be a form of self-care and not selfish. Yeah. Boundaries are so interesting. And I'm hearing, I never really heard about it too, too much, but I'm hearing about it more, which is amazing. I think Mm -hmm. like DBT skills come out and more, you know, groups and and information and education, like what you offer kind of comes out. Um, We're hearing more about boundaries. And I, I keep hearing and seeing this post about how if someone freaks out after you set a boundary, that's yeah. validation that it probably needed to be set. And I yes. that. Um, what are some of the boundaries that you see people having to make with their families? Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of backtrack and piggyback on what you just said. Um, sure. You know, narcissists, right? Their core fear is the fear of abandonment. So anytime that gets challenged, either a perceived challenge or an actual challenge, it can send them into what's known as narcissistic rage. So whenever a, you know, an adult child starts setting boundaries, it's going to disrupt that narcissistic family system, disrupt the narcissist, and there's going to be some sort of a reaction. So you know, boundaries can look as simple as not answering the phone or not responding right away, because again, that's another trait of a narcissist. They often want immediate response. So just sort of adding in that pause and experimenting with things like that. And then it can go, you know, to the more extreme of, you know, some folks that are in the group that I run um, are no contact with their narcissistic parent and have been for either a number of months or a number of years. So it, it can really look different to everybody. And I think it really depends where you are in, in your process of recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, those are one of those things that are really, really hard to do. Yeah. Actually the payoff is huge. And it's yes. again, one of those things when they have the support of somebody like you and the education and the support and then the social support on top of it, if they can, 
hopefully they can maintain that boundary and, you know, follow through with that too, because I know that's also a really difficult part of boundary making. Absolutely. And here we are, you know, headed into the holidays, although it's a different kind of holiday with the pandemic, which we talked about in group yesterday, actually, about like using the boundaries, you know, the benefits of the boundaries set up by COVID to kind of experiment with boundaries. And and we don't have to be the ones to really set them or justify them in this light. So it's like an easier, it's a way to ease into setting boundaries without it being directly you know, taken as our fault by the narcissist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you're bringing up such a good point too with the holidays. It's right. Like you said, it's not a typical kind of holiday scenario, but all the same kind of potential maybe for conversations to happen that people don't want to have or, yeah. you know, expect people, people not being on the same page as far as whether they want to get together in person or whether they don't want to. So yes. Yeah, definitely a tricky time for sure. Um, So I want to talk about, I want to talk, I'm so interested in picking your brain. I think this is fascinating. Pick away. Uh, (laughs) And like, I want to talk about the eating disorder stuff and the body, but I don't want to leave this aspect of things yet. So if someone out there is thinking like, yeah, like I really struggled with my, with my family member all growing up, maybe this sounds Mm -hmm. like me. Um, and they learn more about it and they start to put the pieces together and they start to feel like, yeah, this might be a little bit more of kind of what I've been struggling with. What, what would maybe be some practical things that an audience member listening could do sure. to start feeling some relief? Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a, it's a tough one because I think in this case, sometimes the awareness that, oh, wait a minute, could that be that? my mother was a narcissist and it's actually not my fault. I think it can bring like temporary relief and then the work starts to kind of, you know, sifting through what you then want things to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say most of the people that come to me have done a lot of their own research with it, which is awesome. And I would highly encourage that. So there's some great uh, resources such as, you know, Tracy Malone, who I did a podcast with her, who's very well known in this realm. Um, She's got a great website, NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. So there's tons of resources on there. Another great one, uh, Dr. Carol McBride, who I kind of think of as, you know, the, I I refer to her book as sort of the Bible, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Um, She's got a great website as well and and has done many articles and, and blog articles and her book, and I'm actually trained as a therapist in her five-step recovery program, which is, you know, such a great resource to have. But starting to do your own research, starting to do your own readings, and then, of course, reaching out for support. Um, you know, both Tracy Malone's website and Dr. McBride's have national registries where you can find a therapist that's well-versed in the narcissistic family system. They, you know, I'm listed on both of those, as are some of my colleagues So, you know, that's a great place to start in just reaching out for your own individual support because I think it's really needed in this journey for sure. For all my bloggers, entrepreneurs, social media junkies, and general creative hearts out there, you need to be using Flowdesk as your email marketing platform. 
With this user-friendly platform, you'll no longer spend hours trying to figure out how to put your emails together, let alone how to manage your subscribers. Their beautiful templates are going to leave a beautiful, lasting impression with your subscribers, and it's super customizable, so you can add your own logo and anything else you need to help connect with your audience. It's also cost-effective and offers a really intuitive and easy-to-navigate user experience. If you want a free trial and then 50% off of your actual subscription, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals or enter Jenna Overbaugh at flowdesk.com. Design emails people actually love to get in their inbox. Plus, they offer unlimited everything, unlimited subscribers and access to all of their awesome features. So go ahead, grow your list. Again, just head to my website at www.jennaoverbod.com and click on deals. You can't, you can never underestimate the power of some good education and just having a absolutely and a context of what's going on. That's what I think is so awesome about things like Instagram. I, I mean, yeah. it bridge that gap for so many people who were constantly accessing social media, but we're not constantly having access to these, you know, therapy services or anything like that. And it's like this bridge that's really amazing for people to get the education, to get the context and start to get the quick little tidbits that they need to then go and do more research and then Mm -hmm. fill some really incredible pieces of their life. So Yeah. And I'm so glad you said social media because there's so many great things on Instagram. Um, So many wonderful, you know, uh, sites that are putting out really great content when it comes to uh, narcissist and narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even myself, I mean, personally and professionally, I feel like I've learned so much since I've been more active on Instagram in the like Mm -hmm. therapy, quote unquote, realm i mean there's so much out there so thank you for yeah. the resources thank you for the reminder not we cannot underestimate the importance and the relief that we can get just from some simple education that's out there absolutely and then i you know the other piece of it is i would just say to maybe start experimenting with boundaries but i really would advise doing that with support and you know if if finding your own therapist isn't feasible just a good friend or, you know, a family member that really understands the situation, because that's a hard thing to come by. You know, we live in this world where people are like, well, you only have one mother, you only have one, but it's your family. You got to find people that really understand, okay, it is my family and I need to set some boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's all super, super helpful. Thanks. I want to... I mean, it's kind of interesting that you, we all kind of have our different specialties, right? I think Mm -hmm. totally makes sense how you see these adult children of individuals who identify as their parents being narcissistic and also people who struggle with disordered eating. Do you see, but I mean, there has to be some overlap, right? Yeah. And actually my specialty was first in eating disorders and body image. And then what I noticed was that a lot of my clients that were struggling with those issues came from families, you know, narcissistic family systems. And I thought, well, that's really interesting, but it makes sense. And I had a, my, my first job in this field was working at an inpatient drug and alcohol facility as a therapist there. And I had just this wonderful clinical director 
And I remember her saying to me, you know, to have learned how to be codependent with substance, with eating disorder, with self-harm, we had to have learned how to do that with a person first. And it makes so much sense, right? So if we're in this narcissistic family system where the boundaries are so blurred, there's enmeshment, there's codependency, well, that's how we learned how to do it then with our, you know, substance of choice, with our food of choice. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting that you got interested in one first and it kind of all came together from there. Yes. I can, I mean, I can imagine I, again, not, I don't want to go both ways, but working with people who have such debilitating OCD and anxiety, so mm-hmm. much can come from the family system, right? Like yes. you learn those those ineffective coping things at some point, they are often modeled these horrific behaviors. Um, There's a lot that can happen with the family system and just trickle down and affect so many other things like disordered eating, struggling with body image. So talk to me about some of your work with those individuals who struggle with disordered eating and struggling with their body image. Like how might someone be able to tell that it's not just quote unquote, I don't want to say normal because these are all yeah. pleasant things, but how do, how could we tell that someone is really, really struggling with body image or disordered eating? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's a tricky one too, because we, as a society really value, um, thinness, right? We value diet, which now is kind of, um, housed under the wellness industry. So they're, they're onto us. They know that we know, dieting isn't great. So now they've renamed themselves the wellness industry. Um, So, you know, we as a society, we really look to those attributes in a person. And I would say it's when it becomes just like any other addiction, when it's becoming unmanageable, when so much of our day is spent perhaps counting calories, body checking, worrying about our weight when it starts to interfere with really being able to be present. And of course, then we start seeing some uh, physical effects of it. And, but sometimes not. So that's the other thing with an eating disorder. It can be um, deceitful in that way because not everybody that struggles with an eating disorder, and I'm saying this in quotes, looks like they have an eating disorder. But I, I would really say it's when it's, it's just taking over your daily life to the extent that other things that you once loved, people, you know, it doesn't, it's not the priority anymore. So that's kind of, you know, what I tell folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think of it in terms of who's in the driver's seat, like who, yeah. it, when it becomes more of a need than a preference, right? So, yes, Yeah. Yep. So there are so many different ways, and I think you're right. It does overlap with like the same way that you would maybe be able to determine whether your anxiety or your OCD is Mm -hmm. or obsessive compulsive tendencies are out of control, right? So if it's inhibiting you in some way, and just generally if you want to feel better, right? I I feel like if you want help with it, if you want to feel better and you want some relief, go for it. Like globally, that's the truth. That's the case, right? But Definitely, if it's affecting things like your activities of daily living, your sleep, um, your ability to enjoy values and engage with those things, absolutely. Yep. So what does your work look like on a day-to-day basis when it comes to working with these individuals, maybe maybe specifically with the body image um, struggles and the eating disordered issues, but also maybe with the adult children as well, just day-to-day, kind of what does that look like for you? What do you guys kind of discuss? 
Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm a gestalt therapist, which means I really love to approach things from a place of curiosity and really um, guide people into bringing things into their awareness. And then also the sort of connection of patterns for folks. And in conjunction with that, I am just about finished with my level one training in internal family systems, our IFS as people know it. And that allows us, you know, so I kind of marry the two uh, modalities and, you know, the IFS really allows us to go inside, allows the client to do that really beautiful internal work where we can begin to know different parts of self. Again, seeing them from a place of curiosity, from a place of compassion, beginning to understand the eating disordered part of self, let's say, or that you know, child that is carrying so much pain from growing up in a narcissistic family system. And then we just go in and we hear the stories of these parts and, and we begin to heal them. And it's pretty profound, you know, when you kind of have these two modalities together and, and especially the IFS, I think it's so effective. Actually, the founder of IFS began his work in working with folks struggling with eating disorders. Um, so it's, it's just really profound and it allows kind of the client to be in charge of their own journey, their own pacing. And, you know, again, I just feel really privileged to be kind of along for that ride with them. Mm -hmm. I love hearing about that because I come from a pretty, pretty strict, pretty traditional CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy sure. where, and, and I'm working in residential. So we're often, okay. at mercy, yeah, we're often at the mercy of insurance companies where it's like 35 to 60 days, boom, you got to get them this yes. in this time. So yep. we don't really have the luxury of like being able to be curious and having these conversations, yes. it does feel at times like this pressure, like we got to go, we got to go, go, go. We got to yep. work. You have to do this, do that. And I feel like in a way that's great because maybe it's what people need and, and we're very behavioral for this, this level of care. And, but in another way, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm losing a big portion of the person's treatment because I don't yeah. to sit and kind of be curious and have those conversations and the way that you're describing it, it just even feels so nice, like like low pressure versus well, like I got to go and I got to yeah. do all the, you know, do these hardcore assignments sometimes that we do. I'm sure you also maybe have some of those things, not to say right. it's easy, but just very, it seems very, just very supportive and, and let's get curious about it. Yeah. And well, you know, and I, I appreciate what you're saying so much. Having worked in an inpatient facility myself, I totally get it, what you're saying. But, you know, the beauty part is like you're the first stop on the train of recovery. And, and it's wonderful that they get to meet you in that first stop. Mm -hmm. and, and the stabilization is so important, right? Like we can't do any of this work if we're not actually ready. Right. So if, if, you know, the addiction is, you know, taking over things. If the eating disorder is, has so much power, we, we really have to address those. And then we can begin to start doing some of this other work too. And, you know, readiness is, is a big factor in all that. And again, it's, it's a process, it's a journey. And the, the biggest advice I, I give people is like, allow yourself the time that you need and deserve, that you are worthy and deserving of. Mm -hmm. 
I love that. And especially these, these individuals have come from a background where that is probably the first time that they've heard a concept like that, like to give yourself time. Yep. <laughs> they, that probably is so foreign to them. And then in comes you, you know, you're giving them the support and it makes sense to you and to me, but to them, it probably is it, what? Like to give yeah. myself something that sounds wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people will come to me a lot with, okay, I just want to, I need skills. I need skills. Well, okay. I hear that, but we really need healing too. Right. Yeah. I feel like I miss out on that portion of it sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, you really, there's benefit in kind of having those discussions and, um, yeah, like you said, healing. You it's not just learning and relearning, right? Like you really need to kind of heal and give that its space that it needs and yes. space that it deserves. The the healing will sustain. Right? And and yeah. you know, something else that I think is really important about outpatient therapy is so often when we're feeling really good, we don't want to come to therapy because we don't want to like not feel good. We don't want to work on something hard, but I would say those are the times to dig in there and do that hard work, do that profound work so that the next time we're in more of a crisis type of situation in our lives, we'll have that other work under our belts that's going to help us move through the harder times. So I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. Not waiting for a crisis moment before yes. you actually get treatment. And, and hopefully we can normalize that more, this idea and this concept of taking care of your mental health and seeing a therapist yes. the same way that we would go and see a chiropractor or the same way that we would see yep. a physical therapist. Um, I think yes. it's kind of there maybe possibly, but- Well, I mean, <laughs> I think if anything's going to do that, quite frankly, it's a pandemic and also an election and all of yeah. that, right? Like there's a lot to recover from right now. And yeah. I'm curious to see what things will look like a year from now, um, because that's the other thing with trauma and trauma can be a big T or a little T. We really sometimes don't feel the effects of it until well after. So it, yeah. that's something to keep in mind. And it's, I always say that it's better to be proactive when we can than reactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So I really, I really, I feel your passion and, and I love <laughs> just this honor. Obviously you feel very honored to do what it is that you do and to hold this space for people. Yes. So we could have, should have maybe talked about this before, but I want to know now that I know the services that you provide and how passionate you are about it, what got you interested in working even initially with the people, you know, who struggle with their eating and body image? What got you into wanting to be a therapist? Yeah, so <laughs> mine is a, um, this is career number probably five for me, quite frankly, <laughs> uh, which is great. You know, there's a lot of career changers in this field, and it's really wonderful that it allows for that. But my, my initial job out of college was a vocal music teacher and director, so choir director. And then I took some time off to have my daughter and then performed professionally in musical theater in the Philadelphia and surrounding areas. Definitely saw my own struggles come up around, you know, body and, and image and trying to look a certain way to get a certain type of part. And, and that became uh, definitely more profound or it just... It, 
it presented itself much more sharply than it had in the past. Um, and then, you know, I, I think I got tired of not being home as much with performing and, you know, all of that. So that's when I decided to go to graduate school and, you know, got my master's of social service from Bryn Mawr College School of um, Social Work and Social Research. And then, um, you know, am lucky enough to do this. So, so some of my own issues around the eating and the body image. And then I did also grow up in a narcissistic family system. And it was my own journey when someone presented to me once, hey, you might want to take a look at the website, Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers, that I suddenly went, oh, my goodness. And, you know, it was a life-changing moment. And, you know, so I, again, I'm just happy to get back in that way. And a lot of it is from my own journey. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think this could be its own podcast episode, but so too far into it, but I think there's this stigma or this myth around therapists that like we have it all together. And in fact, I think that the best therapists are the ones who have had a struggle in the past and who have maybe even sought therapy themselves because we have been there and we see the value in the work and we can understand a little bit more what those individuals are going through. So I can relate to that working in the anxiety field. Um, I talk about this too in my own, uh, my own episodes, but struggling with OCD and anxiety and having gone to to treatment, it gave me so much more drive and passion. And I feel like, like totally leveled up my therapy skills, having gone through it myself. Yes. Love that. Yeah. And we're in a different world of therapy now. You know, it used to be that the therapist rarely disclosed anything and that we didn't know them as people really. I think social media has changed that. I think that clients really want, I mean, by the time they get to us, they kind of know of us. They, they've been on our, you know, social media sites, our websites. They want to know us as people. They want to know, you know, whenever I do and I always ask my clients, do you mind if I share something personal here? And of course, within the context of everything, the response that I usually get is, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. It makes me feel not as, you know, whatever. So I, I think authenticity is is really important in this field. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I come from a background that's pretty much blank slate and don't have pictures of your family yep. in your office and that's all I really knew. And then in comes this social media influx of therapists and they're all modern and it's totally way more in line with my own values. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm loving that we're kind of on that trajectory as well. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It can, we can reach so many more people that way. And that's ultimately what this is about. And like you mentioned before, reaching people before crisis mode and preventing instead of having to deal with it when it's a big fire that we can't really contain. Yes. So important. Yeah. So if you could imagine any audience member out there, any listener out there who's listening and they're really resonating with what you've talked about, maybe they struggle, you know, as an adult child of someone who they believe were a little bit narcissistic, or maybe they're struggling with disordered eating or body image, or maybe a combination of both. Mm-hmm. maybe one or two things that you would like for them to know other than what you've already talked about, maybe as far as education, what's just something that you really want them to know? 
that they don't have to do it alone anymore. You know, um, there is so much support out there. I, I would just implore people to reach out and, and you don't have to carry these burdens by yourself anymore. No, I love that. That's such a, hopefully someone out there maybe took a little breath of relief. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's nice. I mean, we're, we're in a world, there is so much to carry right now. So much to carry. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can offer ourselves, you said the word relief, if we can just offer ourselves a little bit of relief, a little bit of respite, you know, let somebody else share in the load a little bit. Mm-hmm. It can be so beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been so helpful and I am just imagining the audience members who are listening and hopefully they're feeling more solidarity. They're feeling like they maybe have a picture of some things that they need to do to kind of continue their trajectory of feeling better and maybe even, you know, getting in touch with a therapist or seeking you out maybe. Yeah. Uh, So where can these individuals find you? Where can they learn more about you and your services? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll do my Instagram first because I always forget this one, but <laughs> it's it's Alisa Stamps dot therapist or you know at Alisa A L I S A S T A M P S dot therapist. So that's on Instagram. And then, you know, I always direct folks to my website, which is www.alisastamps, A-L-I-S-A. S-T-A-M-P-S dot com. I have um, a lot of blog articles on there. Just wrote one, um, you know, not too long ago, like a week ago, entitled The Magnetic Pull of the Narcissist. So feel free to check out those resources on there. And I have um, some other podcast interviews up for folks to kind of see um, and a little bit more about me. So I would say those are, in general, the places to head. Awesome. And I will be sure to, to, uh, include all that information in the show notes, um, on my Instagram, you'll be able to find her from there too. So thank you so much. This is really helpful. And it's really, it's really refreshing to me to get somebody who, you know, is not just OCD and anxiety. I feel like I have that around me all the time. It's really cool. It gets me feeling like a nerd. I'm excited and happy to have learned a little bit more about this from you. So thank you so much. And I know it's going to be really, really helpful for people listening. So I appreciate you for doing this for us. Well, thank you so much. You know, what a wonderful resource you're offering. And I'm just, you know, very, uh, feel very humbled to, to be a guest. So Mm -hmm. thank you for having me. Yeah. And I, I, I'm forgetting, I I wasn't going to ask you this question, but it seems appropriate because I asked my other mom, I asked my other, um, kind of mom, you know, interviewers who are on here, I always follow up and at the end of the interview, I ask them, why do you think it's important to do hard things? So ah. counter people who do hard things all the time. And that's kind of my mantra. I yes. love the concept of having to do hard things. So why do you think it's important to do hard things? Well, I'm going to answer that with a quote from the movie, A League of Their Own. It's Tom Hanks, right? He's the manager of the ball team. If you haven't seen the movie, such a great movie. And um, Gina Davis is the star who is this phenomenal uh, catcher on the team. And anyway, her husband comes back from war and she decides to leave the team before the end of the season. And he asks her, how come you're leaving? And she said, it just got too hard. And he says, it's the hard 
that makes it great. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely the hard that makes us makes it great and so worthwhile. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.